that and just throw me on the side of the street. That's all you got to do. You don't want to go to the doctor. Th throw me on the side of the street. Let the dogs get me, huh? You, I don't hear that being said. This is what we be saying. Hurry up, man. Can you go a little faster? The Bible tells me, say, we say this, my brother. Say, even though we want to be closed up on, that's in the natural here, but we've got another building is way better than this. We've got to consider the other building better. I want, I want all God's glory today on me right now, but then he got his time picked to quicken me and give me that everlasting body that I'll never suffer, be shamed, none of that stuff. No more in life. That's what he, I'm going to get there. But it's God time. The disciples were saying, Lord, when is it going to be? When are you coming back and get us? He said, I ain't for you to know. Only my Father which is in heaven know that. So what I do, I have to just do, prepare myself now that when, and be ready so whenever he come, I'll be ready. And not play hide and seek. Endure affliction. Do the works of who? Evangelist. Go tell people the word. I'm going to show you something what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us to do. Say, hold fast sound word, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ. It's going to be all right. This is K-A-Y-T, Gina Alexandria. The Gospel is on the radio at 88.1. Call up somebody. Tell them it's going to be all right. K-A-Y-T. Got the Gospel transmitting. All day. Say you really do. 
Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Deliverance Today Ministries, a ministry designed to reach you and to uplift you and to help you to have a great relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm Evangelist Jonathan E. McCautry, and today we want you to know that each morning at 6 o'clock a.m., there is a Zoom prayer line. You're invited to join in with us and pray. Our nation is in need of prayer. And today, we invite you to call into our Zoom room number. That is member ID number 504-535-3921. Again, that is Zoom number 504 535 3921. We invite each and every one of you to join us each morning on our...
today is Matthew chapter 8, beginning with verse 5. The Bible says, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. I heard a story about a young girl who wrote a letter to a missionary to let him know that her class had been praying for him. But evidently she'd been told not to request a response to her letter because the missionaries were very busy. So the missionary got a kick out of her letter. It said, Dear Mr. Missionary, we are praying for you but we are not expecting an answer. I can't help but think that that little girl summarized the prayer lives of many Christians. Sometimes we pray without expecting an answer, even though God has assured us that he does indeed hear our prayers. I think many of us struggle with the nagging question, is God really listening to me? Yes, he heard David. He heard Elijah. He heard the apostles, but does he hear me? How do we really know that our prayers are answered? The truth is, for a child of God, there is no such thing as an unanswered prayer. Today, it is our privilege to explore only the second miracle in the ministry of Jesus. Fresh off the mountaintop experience of the most profound sermon ever preached, Jesus began to turn his attention to his public ministry. Jesus' power was aroused to embrace believers of every nationality. Unlike a leader who would not concern himself with a sick non-Roman Jew, unlike the Levite and the priest who had not time for the painful cry of one who was beaten up on the side of the road, the ministry of Jesus would carry him to the homeless and the destitute. His outreach was to the poor and the needy, those who were victims of being social outcasts. This mission was among those with leprosy and the blind. His outreach was to the infirmed and to those who have been overlooked because they had lived on the other side of the tracks. I'm often amazed at how holy people can act so self-righteous and can be so caring to people of means, but when it comes to the less fortunate, our feelings of empathy to those who are in need are often shallow and uncaring. However, in this case, this centurion was a proselyte and a man of means and probably a volunteer in the Roman army or in the forces of Herod and Tiapis, who had a garrison at Capernaum. A centurion was only a non-commissioned officer with 50 to 100 men under his command. Oxymoronic paradoxes are pregnant throughout this story. This man was a Roman soldier who loved his Jewish slave. 
the wealthy Roman centurion came begging to the penniless and poor Nazarite preacher. Our message could well be named when the powerful met the penniless because Jesus was a man who had not a place to lay his head. It was unusual for a Roman to show affection toward a slave. Jesus' power arose to embrace this Roman centurion. Jesus was keenly aware of the bitter hatred in the hearts of the Jews against the Romans, and despite the fact that this man was despised and rejected as a Gentile by the Jews, Jesus was willing to overlook the prejudice and the hatred of his people to be helpful to the culturally unholy. Understand that he was not just a Gentile, but a Roman and a soldier, a citizen and a soldier of the nation that enslaved the Jews. Jesus not only received the centurion, he commended him for his faith. True belief is a rare thing. Not many believe, yet belief in Jesus Christ is one of the greatest qualities of human life. What Jesus is looking for in his ministry of mercy is faith. He was aroused to embrace all who come to him by faith, no matter who they are or from whom they come. Jesus possessed the power to embrace the many from every place, from all nations. Jesus is an equal opportunity God. The word says, Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid them to the marriage. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Here we see a contrast of two types of power. The centurion had power over men, but Jesus possessed a power unbridled. The first issue about this story is the interconnecting of two opposite power sources. The centurion was the first Roman character to walk on stage within Matthew's description and account of the ministry of Jesus. Matthew introduces this character with the powerful title centurion, and the centurion himself acknowledges this power with his reference to the soldiers under him. He was powerful to control an army, but powerless to heal his servant. His authority as a centurion had no merit over disease. The centurion knew that his power was limited, but Jesus possessed a power that was limitless. I'm reminded of a story. A young boy traveling by airplane to visit his grandparents sat beside a man who happened to be a seminary professor. The boy was reading a Sunday school take-home paper, and the professor thought he would have some fun with the lad. Young man, said the professor, if you can tell me something God can do, I will give you a big shiny apple. The boy thought for a moment and then replied, Mister, if you can tell me something God can't do, I'll give you a whole barrel of apples. You see, my brothers and sisters, we must believe in God's power. The early church 
had little machinery, but they had power. A young woman, a member of my church, worked in a large umbrella factory in Philadelphia, at that time considered the largest umbrella factory in the world. She said to me one day in a discouraged manner, Pastor, I'll have to hunt another job. What's the matter? I asked her. Have they discharged you? No, they haven't discharged me. Well, hasn't your factory enough orders to keep going all the time? No, not that at all. They have more orders that they can fill. But they haven't enough electricity to keep all the machines going at once. And my machine has to lie idle for part of the week. And I lose so much time and pay. The trouble with the factory is they have more machinery than power. Now let us not forget that the finest machinery made is useless without power. And it is God's power which is essential to carrying out the Great Commission. We need power to overcome fear, power to face our enemies, power to fight the devil, power to conquer discouragement, power to hold on when tested and tried, power to settle our insufficiencies, power to be faithful amid the faithless. A sailor in a shipwreck was thrown upon a rock when he clung in great danger until the tide was down. Later, a friend asked him, Jim, didn't you shake with fear when you were hanging on that rock? Jim's answer was, yes, but the rock didn't shake. That was a significant reply because no matter what you face in life, Jesus Christ, the rock of ages, never shakes. We serve a rock that will not move. When you have this kind of faith, troubles don't bring you into despair. Will your anchor hold in the storms of life? When the clouds unfold, their wings are strife. When the strong tides lift and the cables strain, will your anchor drift or firm remain? We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep. In the Savior's love, it is safely moored till the storm withstand, for tis well secured by the Savior's hand, and the cables pass from his heart to mine can defy the blast, though strength divine. It will firmly hold in the straits of fear when the breakers have told the reef is near. Though the tempest rave and the wild winds blow, not an angry wave shall bark or flow it shall surely hold in the folds of death when the waters cold chill our latest breath on the rising tide it can never fail while our hopes abide within the veil you see in the centurion we see a desperate man who was willing to resort to desperate measures this man wanted healing for his servant and desperation drove this man to a determined deliverer. The urgency of the servant's condition is reflected in the earnestness of the appeal. In spite of his authority over soldiers and civilians, the centurion is clearly overpowered by the illness of his servant. Sickness 
has a way of sucking the sanctimonious self-righteousness out of all of us. It is when we are sick that we all stand in the same position as all other supplicants. The very fact that he appeals to Jesus indicates both that he himself has no power over human illness and more importantly, that Jesus does have that power. But not only is the centurion powerless, it pointed contrast to Jesus. He is also, in his own words, unworthy. His ultimate object was healing. And in order to get that healing, this centurion was challenged to cheat on his fears. He was motivated to break up with his doubts, which commanded him to become engaged to his faith as he desired to be married to his dreams. This is the time to enlarge his territory and to step out of the box of his lethargic atmosphere and realize that while he was powerless, Jesus is powerful. He likewise acknowledges the authoritative position of Jesus, a position parallel but clearly superior to his own, from which Jesus can heal others simply by speaking the word. The centurion recognizes that the implication of his request for the help would be asking Jesus to come to his house and heal his servant. To do so would render Jesus ceremonially unclean. According to Jewish law, the fact that Jesus touched the leper shows that he was not concerned with such contamination. For a Jew to visit a Roman, he would become ceremonially unclean. But Jesus was not persuaded by the ceremonial poppycock. If there is a troubled soul in the church today, Jesus desires their healing. We have reached a time in our spiritual agenda where we are going to have to put down our differences. We are going to have to put our prejudices aside. We are going to have to put our shallowness aside and let Jesus eclipse our faith. It is high time that we leave the luxuries of our sealed and settled houses and reach out into the lepers of our society. We need to find those who have AIDS, those who have viruses, those who are blind, those who are destitute, those who are spiritually unclean, and bring them to Jesus. To get total satisfaction of this story, we need not start with Matthew's story because he skips a very important part. When the centurion heard about Jesus and the healing miracles he was performing, he sent to him elders of the Jews, leaders of the local synagogue, asking him to come and save his slave. But there's a problem with sending ambassadors. They don't always get the story right. They don't tell the story like you want them to. They may put all of the energy into the story that needs to be emphasized. They talked of the physical healing. They suggested spiritual salvation, that is, healing of the soul. It basically means to save from peril, injury, or suffering. But their message did not have the fervor and the energy of the centurion. For the elders came to Jesus earnestly pleading the case of the centurion. They said, He is worthy that thou shouldest do this for him, 
for he loveth our nation and himself, but this is our synagogue. Their story moved Jesus, for the Bible says Jesus went with them. Literally, the Bible says he was starting to go with them. But before he reached the man's house, he was met by another delegation. This time, the centurion's friends. There are special times and special occasions where hearing a story from an ambassador is not compelling enough. It is obvious that this Roman soldier was highly thought of in the Jewish community. The friends brought the message that the centurion did not consider himself worthy of having the master come to his home. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. When we compare this with Matthew's account, we immediately run into a difficulty. For Matthew says that the centurion came to Jesus beseeching him. And when the master said, I will come and heal him, the centurion answered, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. How can these two accounts be reconciled? Well, Matthew has a regular habit of telescoping narratives, leaving out the details of the procedure. The focus of Matthew was that if you want healing from Jesus, don't send an ambassador. If you want healing from Jesus, don't send an emissary. If you want healing from Jesus, don't send an imposter. If you want healing from Jesus, then you have to come to Jesus for yourself. So here, Matthew simply says that the centurion came beseeching and answered while Luke spells out the details showing that the centurion sought healing through his friends. This is perfectly proper and understandable. The centurion's reasoning was logical. He, it was okay to seek assistance through a go-between. He thought that it was enough to have somebody talk to Jesus in his behalf. He believed that Jesus had complete authority over disease. But my brothers and sisters, to bring this story home, the centurion found out that all this was unnecessary. He himself came and said to Jesus, Jesus, just say the word. Here is a man that was a heathen of birth showing greater faith than Jews 